Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy, on a small planet called Gekonia, east of the albino hills and south of the raging leucistic river, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. Good evening, Gecko fanatics and everybody else that's tuning in tonight. Uh, I just want to welcome everybody to another exciting episode of Gecko Nation Radio. And if you hear that music in the background, that is the theme from The Godfather. And uh, tonight we have the Godfather of Leopard Geckos with us, Mr. Ron Tremper. Uh, Ron Tremper has been the most instrumental uh, breeder and enthusiast uh and uh, just amazing individual that has really just committed his last 30-plus years to herpetoculture and especially to leopard geckos. Uh, nobody's really done more for the leopard gecko, uh, pioneering it in the morphs and uh, the colors and everything uh, as Ron has. So he is our gecko godfather, so to speak. And uh, it's just an honor having him with us tonight. We're gonna, he's got some exciting news, um, some things that have been um, that he's been hinting at, and uh, some things that have now been confirmed uh, that he wants to announce. And uh, just exciting stuff. And for tonight's show, I have a special co-host uh, with us, Mr. Tim Walton from Slice of the Jungle. Tim, you are live on Gecko Nation Radio. What's going on, Dave? I'm looking forward to the show tonight. Excellent. Yeah, everything's good. Um, just uh, looking forward to the show as well. How's everything with you, Tim? Pretty good. How's uh, How's your collection doing? What What do you got new going on over there? Oh, oh yeah, a lot of good stuff, man. Babies are hatching like crazy, and I have to keep building racks to keep up. It's kind of, uh, you know, I'm at that stage where I have to build in order to... I. I I'm like continuing, continuing, and growing, so I have to keep building to keep up, and it's kind of a kind of crazy time. But uh, and, I wouldn't want to be doing also, anything else. And also, <laughs> this is a busy time of year for you, right? With uh, growing up some of the hatchlings and still getting a lot of eggs. Right, right. That's just it. You know, each uh, when you have a lot of babies, they all need the individual attention sometimes, and uh, especially getting them past their first shed and eating on their own out of a food bowl, um, that's like a critical time. And to actually have to manage, micromanage hundreds of babies that way, um, it takes a lot of time. It certainly does. Wow, we have 30 people currently in the chat room. I think that's like a new chat room record. A um, whole bunch of guests. I'm sure there's a lot of international people. I just want to thank everybody that's uh, uh, with us tonight in the chat room. And uh, we're going to be putting some important information, links in the channel for you guys to uh, check out for yourself, especially when Ron comes on. Uh, but before we get started with Ron, I want to mention that Gecko Nation Radio would not be possible without its amazing sponsors. And the people that sponsor our show are hand-selected because they are the best people in the business, in the industry, the best breeders, and just all-around great people that I can stand behind 100%. Uh, so check out some of them now, and you'll hear the rest of them at the mid-show break. 
Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Ron Tremper is the biggest contributor to leopard gecko morph making. Known worldwide for his amazing examples of living art. You can now download his Leopard Gecko Care app, his Morph Encyclopedia app called Leopard Gecko Pro, and visit his site, leopardgecko.com, to see where morphs are made. GiantLeopardGecko.com specializes in giant and supergiant leopard geckos with a focus on selectively bred exceptional lines of many different morph combinations, including high-end African fat tails and crested geckos. With over 17 years of experience in herpetoculture, Keith Kiggins brings you quality, integrity, and value. Check out GiantLeopardGecko.com on the web and on Facebook. Reptiles Express is the absolute best live animal shipping company with great low rates. Debbie is the queen of customer service and will make sure your precious cargo gets to where it needs to. They also have a wide array of shipping supplies from deli cups, snake bags, heat packs, and more. Visit reptilesexpress.com and become a member today. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. abdragons.com is your source for the highest quality dubia roaches. Whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps, abdragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt Reptile Heat Tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. So, Tim, uh, what's going on in your collection and Slice of the Jungle? What's up with you? I was, uh, during the break there, I was trying to uh, feed some uh, young green tree pythons. Oh, cool. You breed them? Well, actually, not not too young. They're they're yearlings now. No, um, I uh, I got a trio last year, so um, maybe in a couple years I'll be breeding them. Those are awesome. Lots of luck with them. Um, I have a question for you before we go further. What is the best forum for gecko enthusiasts, Tim? Gecko forums, of course. Yes, you know it. Everybody check this out. Did you know that since 2006, there's been a treasure trove of history and information on leopard geckos and other species? Well, Gecko Forums is the most extensive database of leopard gecko history on the web right now. Take a look and delve into the past, present, and future of this great community. The biggest contributors, breeders, and hobbyists have left their mark there. Now it's your turn. Look, learn, and post away. Need a place to post animals for sale? Look no further. Visit geckoforums.net and become a member today. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to be the official radio show associated with Gecko Forums. Herpentime Radio is my inspiration for GNR. Justin and JD do a terrific show every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern and have an amazing archive of shows available for download. 
visit them at blogtalkradio.com slash herpentime and on Facebook. Wow, Tim, we have 42 people in the chat room right now. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that, is a, that is a record. I think uh, one other show had 30, but uh, this has totally topped it. Well, Ron is the, the godfather. He's our gecko uh, godfather, so I guess I shouldn't uh, shouldn't be surprised. But um, what do you say we jump into the news with Mr. Steve Barker? Sounds good. Good evening, Gekonians. Uh, the king of Gekonians. What is going on, hey. Steve? Ah, uh, not How much. We're good. How are you? Good, good. It's going to be a great show tonight. All right. Tell me you got some good news for us. Uh, Yeah, I got a one pretty cool story. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> I'll take it. I've, first couple stories are updates. The teens char- are charged in killing of gopher tortoise. Last, yeah. I believe it was last week or the week before, there was a video going around with two teenage girls that brutally tortured and killed a gopher tortoise on film. Mm-hmm. Horrible. So yep. the two of them have now been charged with felony cruelty to animals, which is a third-degree felony, and taking, harassing, harming, and killing a gopher tortoise, which is a second-degree misdemeanor. So they've been charged for killing that tortoise. Yeah. Right. The one girl's picture, I mean, you could just see this really cold, scary gaze in her eyes. Like, totally, right? Like, totally a psychotic look in her eyes. Whew, scary. Yeah. Yeah. Caught, caught a caught a murderer uh, early on in life, I think. Yep. Uh, All yeah. right. And our, our next update, reptile specialist reveals he was told to keep quiet about a 16-foot green anaconda on the loose in New Jersey's largest freshwater lake. So I believe it was last week also that we heard that a boa constrictor was loose in in Lake Hapitcong. Hapitcong, yes. In, yeah, in New Jersey. Now we're finding out that reptile expert Gerald Andrake said he, he saw it in a boathouse Thursday, identified the snake as a green anaconda. Local authorities, authorities asked him not to tell anyone to prevent public panic. So they're trying not I mean obviously it's out now, but they were trying to keep it quiet that it's a 15 to 16 foot anaconda in the lake. Wow. Okay, so well at least it's confirmed that there actually is a snake there. We were kind of wondering if it was just a publicity stunt or something, right? Right. I mean, right. Yeah. Huh. Right. Crazy. Interesting. Yeah. And the, the coolest story of the night, and possibly a future sci-fi movie plot, <laughs> Russian, 
Russia launches lizard sex satellite and loses control of it. Okay, that's what? that's a, that's the title of the article. Okay, a satellite <laughs> filled filled with mating geckos currently floating out of control through space after Russian mission control lost the ability to control it. The the satellite called Photon M4 was launched on July 19th with five geckos, some plants and insects on board, has stopped responding to commands from mission control after making its first few orbits of Earth. Scientists, however, are content to let the satellite drift in orbit as its equipment is still sending scientific data. So, so, they're, so to they're me, gonna, that sounds... They're going <laughs> to evolve and then come right. back and take over the Earth, right? Yeah. In like 100 years. Yeah. <laughs> That's like a great sci-fi plot, right? Planet yeah. of the geckos. That's incredible. Yeah. What kind of geckos? What kind of geckos uh, are they, though? Do you know? I couldn't, I couldn't find where it said what type of geckos they were. Hmm. But, but well, I thought it was really interesting, you know? That, you know, they're just letting it be. (laughs) Well, what can they do? I mean, well, another thing to consider is all you people out there that are worried about um, animals, you know, geckos surviving the shipping process, if they can survive being strapped to the, to the, with a rocket on their butt, (laughs) so to speak, under those kind of G-forces, I I think they can survive going through a night with FedEx. So, yeah, (laughs) I mean, that's pretty interesting. I'd like yeah. to find out more about the story, like what kind they are, and um, you know, yeah, I'm gonna, crazy. Uh, I'm gonna look into it more. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, <laughs> I thought it was a really cool story. So <laughs> that was our last cool. story of the night. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't you take us back in time and uh, what's happening, you know, in the past. <laughs> All right, February 4th, 1938. This is just a crazy article. Freak reptile is discovered at local park. A strange reptile which had both the appearance of a snake and a lizard and which defied classification was discovered here yesterday afternoon. The curious freak of nature was found in the Duncan Park area by Eben Tate Jr., who immediately laid claim to the title of the discovery of the strangest, if not the weirdest, creature in these parts this year. This is in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Measuring 11 inches from tip to tip, the reptile closely resembled in miniature form the monstrous nightmare in the animal kingdom during the prehistoric Stone Age, the creature having a forked tail was mounted on four claw-like feet and was colored in different shades of brown. That's the entire article. And I tried to find more information on it, and I could not find anything at all. February 4th, 1938. That's weird. <laughs> what do you think it was, Tim? I don't know. That sounds crazy. First, I, I would think it'd be like some kind of a skink or something, right? If they're saying it, it looks like a snake and a lizard, but uh, with, with a, a forked, forked tail. tail. 
Yeah. Well, there, I'm sure you guys have seen uh, pictures of geckos and skinks that have, uh, you know, partially lost a part of their tail, and then when it regrows, it regrows two, and, yeah. and, in two parts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That could be it. Maybe it's a skink yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. Brooke says it would I, be chupacabra. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I hunted around and I could not find anything else about it anywhere. But That's that crazy. was February fourth, nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what's going on in your collection, Steve? What's what are you doing lately? Um, I hatched my first just plain Max Snow, which. I think they look awesome. Just a regular Max yeah. Snow, but that was my first, so I, you know, I, I liked it. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, next Sunday, I'll be cutting my first ball python clutch of the season. So I'm really oh, psyched cool. about that. Yeah. Nice. And that's uh, nice. gonna... the blonde pastel clutch. Yes, the blonde pastel lesser. Yep. Nice. So I, awesome. I'm looking for... I want some more blonde pastels and combo. So, <laughs> yeah, I hope they all Looking turn for out anything. to be. Uh, I hope they all come out to be blonde pastel lesters for you. That'd be great. Those things are yeah, incredible. That would, that would be awesome. Wow. All right. Cool. All right, Steve. Well, I really appreciate you giving us the news tonight, and uh, you know we'll certainly certainly uh, look forward to it again next week. And uh, why don't you give out your information so uh, people can find you? Check me out on YouTube and Facebook under BC Barker Creations. Awesome. All right, Steve. Have a great night. You too. Thanks, Steve. Take it easy. Thank you. All right. Okie doke, folks. All right. Let's go ahead and bring on our Gecko Godfather. Mr. Ron Tremper, you are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, guys. Oh, my goodness. We're going to have a big night. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Really excited. we got some great news for us, and, uh, you know, we've had a lot of speculation and a lot of, you know, wishing and dreaming, but you got the news that's going to uh, shock everybody tonight, and, uh, and you got some great uh, information that we can send them to look at, too, so... Let's get right into it, Ron. What, what, what do you have to tell us? Well, we've got reports on three different genetic projects I've been working on for some time, and one's called the paintbrush with the uh, albino that have the uh, normal markings spread all over its body. We, we've got that to report on, possible new recessive. Uh, we also got uh, a, a real interesting development update on the pastel uh, project that has uh, turned a corner that I didn't realize I had in my hands that just is very exciting. And we hope to get some results on the uh, Super Platinum uh, tonight, whether or not it's, uh, you know, maybe we've got some eggs going on a test that with a Murphy pattern less to make sure that the uh, Super Platinum isn't a uh, Super Snow Murphy pattern less. And those eggs um, do the hatch today or tonight, sometimes. So we'll go over there a little later, and maybe there's something in the cup that'll 
solve that mystery. And uh, and so we've got all those reports. I think we'll start with the um, uh, paintbrush situation. And, uh, okay. Well, that, that, that project, you know, uh, is really interesting. I The way I attacked it was I always think of genetic projects where um, as if everything's going to come true and as if the wildest dreams are, are already in my hands. So I, what I did was I came up with the notion that since you could have these big natural blotches of pattern from like a, just a normal leopard gecko over an albino, uh, why not having those, have those big normal blotches of pattern on a all-white gecko like a Diablo Blanco and then we'd end up with an all-white gecko. It would look like a pied gecko but with all red eyes. Wouldn't that be mind-blowing? And so, yeah. so, I, so I attacked it that way. I, I prepared all the genetics and bred using uh, Diablo Blanco male to the uh, paintbrush female that's pictured there on Facebook and all. And uh, we made the uh, offspring last year and then uh, start breeding those back to each other this year. And um, uh, we've hatched over 20 young now, and... Uh, not a single one of them uh, has duplicated the paintbrush uh, effect that we saw in the female. So after 20 some odd young, we've got another 20 to go. Uh, unless some miracle happens, I think, uh, you know, we've hit a dead end there, just seeing if we could transfer it. I was hopeful because mm. I saw this same sort of pattern situation on a bandit where just, you know, that high contrast bandit pattern and then across part of the creamy yellow was just some natural, normal leopard gecko pattern like you'd get from a $25 gecko from, you know, from the pet store, just, you know, and so that got me thinking that this paradoxical pattern could show up on any morph, and it it can, Uh, but it it can't be predicted, I think, and it can't be easily uh, duplicate, at least in my situation with this particular female, it could not. Mm-hmm. And I can't say that it couldn't be done with something else um, that is paradoxical. Now, we're not talking about the, the black spots that you see on, on uh, you know, hypotangerines often or red stripes or the white and yellows. Uh, we're talking about blotches of actual pattern and scales and, you know, and not just a you know, one centimeter in diameter black spot like sometimes we see. But anyway, this is just an example of what we do here and what other people do in the industry when they see something weird. All of us would, uh, you know, once you start breeding some geckos, you see things that you set aside. I'm sure yourself, uh, others uh, do this. I know that, that some of the bigger breeders do have things set aside all the time that, a possible project. So the paintbrush stuff was something where I thought, you know, we could maybe uh, control it, and it didn't turn out to be um, a strong possibility at this time, and at least with this particular female and this set of genetics that I have. So anyway, it would have mm-hmm. been a great a great thing. Can you imagine, you know, just have a pied-looking, uh, put that natural pattern on a all-white gecko with red eyes, 
and be oh, able to God, duplicate yes. that, it would have been crazy. Yep. Everybody would have been wondering, how the heck do you get red eyes with the natural pattern? And um, so, anyway, that's kind of how I think, and it's a fun game for me. It's, it's just sort of like thinking outside the box and, and stuff I ponder, and it's fun to kick around here with Helen. It's wonderful being married to someone that uh, knows all the genetics uh, so thoroughly and and we can bounce things off each other and uh, debate things and and really, you know, go after it. So, yeah, it's fun and it's fun to share this stuff. But, hey, you know, it's all of us, uh, you know, that try to create morphs and do things, we run into dead ends sometimes. Oh, and yeah, so, it's part of the game. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Well, while I'm talking to you, I'm going to walk over. Um, do you have any other questions, you Tim, about the paintbrush project or how I approached it or kind of ideas about paradox? Uh, yeah, just talk about, um, you know, when you first saw it, what, what your first thoughts were and, and how you uh, came across it. I know you uh, you come across so many geckos every day. You know, I'm sure uh, there's, something happening when uh when something like that pops out yeah exactly you know the pictures i put up on facebook showed how the albino looked and as a baby and and then how it grew up and the pattern you know developed real real heavily on it and so when i like i say when i saw that i got to thinking now what if i could get that pattern on a white gecko you know i i had seen it on other geckos but you know, that's sort of my thinking, and that was my idea for attacking it. That was my goal, is to put that natural pattern on a all-white gecko. And so sometimes when you see these things uh, that come up, uh, uh, they stimulate that kind of thought. Hey, guys, I'm walking through over to my facility. I just live here on the property, and Ellen, bless her heart, she's feeding 200 breeder boxes right now. So, uh, anyway, I, you got me out of that by having me on the show. I'm going into the incubation room now. And, uh, guys, this is live. I'm going into the incubation room. It's a big room. Got about, oh, hundreds and hundreds of eggs here. So we walk into the incubator. I'm looking at the uh, platinum cup. Let me see here. Keep your fingers oh, crossed, folks. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> well... The good news is uh, the egg has hatched from the super platinum times the uh, Murphy patternless. Uh, and the platinum is a super snow Murphy patternless. It's not unique to itself. It's a beautiful animal, but here we are right here. Jeez. Woo, all this testing. And uh, in order to uh, get to rule out the Murphy pattern less, we would have wanted to see a banded snow baby here with uh, one of these two eggs. And uh, we've got a snow Murphy pattern less, which absolutely confirms that the uh, super platinum uh, is a super snow Murphy and not a super snow blizzard or something unique. So there you go. I mean, I've always said we had to test this out some of the top breeders were guessing mostly Super Snow Blizzard by the look of it, but it's now confirmed 100% that it's a Super Snow Murphy Patternless, and it comes in about 
four different colors, light gray, mauve, pink, chocolate brown. And so there's some variation. I have about nine of them now. But uh, I think they'll be good for other projects. So, wow, okay. Well, right here on the show, um, first eggs out, well, and I'm sure the other. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I got, I'm a little disappointed to hear that. But also, um, I don't know if that's, I mean, yeah, you proved that there's Murphy Patty, or Patty in there, but um, I don't know. People are producing super snows that have little to no coloration that appear very gray, almost exactly like that, uh, what you call the super platinum. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's other ones that, you know, are very modeled. They have, like, pied-like markings, and then they have, like, almost no spots at all, and they they look like that. And it seems like the Super Snow Complex can produce spotless or greatly reduced spotting on the actual, uh, you know, the Super Snow Eclipses. So I don't, I wouldn't count it totally out just yet. I mean, there may be more going on here. And uh, Well, you know, I'm yeah. not going to throw them away, that's for sure, and I probably won't start selling them for 50 bucks tomorrow. But, uh, <laughs> right. yeah. I'm back over to my house now. I'm going to get on the couch where it's a little cooler than my 90-degree room. And, uh, well, yeah, uh, we certainly, we've had some, uh, you know, from the uh, blizzard, but we, we, even though we had five or six blizzard females going, only het blizzards seemed to want to cooperate with the platinum, and uh, we were hatching banded snows, but they were het blizzard and so that still left the door open it could be a but the fact we produced uh, a perfect snow Murphy pattern less pretty much sums mm-hmm. it up but you know who knows for sure uh, you know there was one guy sent me a picture from Canada or Europe last week and when I really started twisting him he had some Murphy pattern less or blizzard in the line and uh, so some of these things will have to be test bred, you know. Uh, you know, it's, all this is a work in progress. And, uh, you know, I had three, uh, three cool projects going. And, um, you know, you've heard just now about the paintbrush, and now I've just now discovered uh, this hatchling with the, uh, the super platinum. So, yeah, there's things unknown, like the uh, super diorite is, is pretty... Uh, perplexing as well they seem to come from super snows uh and bred to uh super galaxies and some of this but you know there's multiple genes going on this is this stuff doesn't really fit mammalian science you know where we just got the punnett square and and you got the brown mouse and the white mouse and and all that there's there's a lot of stuff that's going to redefine uh vertebrate genetics here, uh, using some of these reptile models, like people with the ball pythons, uh, discovering things all the time. And and there's more than just a couple genes or simple things going on with these leopard geckos. And, uh, you know, yes. uh, it's, nice, it's nice to be able to predict things. But uh, but that's what we do here. We, we've got the space and time, and I like to be out on the edge you know, pushing myself, I just challenge myself and and go out there after something. And when I see something weird that doesn't seem to fit or could be explained easily from the records we keep here and the pairings we do, I uh, 
I go after it and just see if maybe we got something really special or something that's just sitting underneath my nose. But yeah, we'll mm-hmm. you know we're not going to give up on it. And uh, you know this this super snow complex is complex. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is. Well, I have a question for you. Actually, um, yeah. more of a comment. Uh, our friend Daryl Burton is, uh, as you know, he's he's um, very skilled in biology, and uh, he knows a lot about genetics. And when he comes on um, after the break, uh, I'm going to ask him to explain his some of his theory. And, um, you know, like you said just a few minutes ago about uh, the genetics of reptiles being very complex, and we really don't know a lot about how these things are, are working. Um, you know, the, the there's I don't know how many alleles there are that could be occupied with different, you know, genes being turned on and off. Um, is it is it more or less an infinite, uh, or I guess very you know I don't know like how many alleles could they could possibly be there that could be turned on and off, um, you know besides just yeah. recessives and dominance. I mean, what do you what do you know of it? Well, what I do know is that we don't know, and right. there's there's just a lot that's not easily explained. There's theories, you know, we get together, uh, you know, and, and talk about it. I mean, you and I talk about it and, uh, you know, Matt and I talk and, 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 and Steve Sykes and I and uh, everybody, you know, kind of shares around. We get a lot done over a beer and, you know, after, you know, talks at Daytona and things like that. And uh, there's uh, it's just a lot of interesting things and, uh, he used to be kind of simple, guys. You know, 10 years ago, we just had a few morphs, and and there's a lot more, you know, codoms and and uh, things that are, you know, powerful, you know, when bred to other morphs and not show themselves so well and when bred to some others. And, and so all this is going to be sorted out over time, and I can just tell the listeners that, there's more unknown and to be discovered and revealed ahead of us than we know and have now. So there's mm-hmm. just a ton of of new stuff, and and uh, it, it's going to be real exciting, yeah, really exciting uh, over the next three years because now we're peeling away more layers of the onion. You know, it's not possible for one breeder to do it all. Ten years ago, one breeder could have a grasp on every every gene and have them in his collection and now it's it's very hard to do all the multiple combos and and now um, you know I have an announcement coming up that's going to throw a whole nother gene into the mix and so you know it's going to be in the you know you know in the hundreds and hundreds of possible combinations once you know it starts getting at this level of complexity so there's, I can just promise everybody that not just myself but the other great breeders around the nation and even someone just starting out can buy top genetics, you know, you know, stuff that, that all of us have developed uh, individually or collectively, you know, and start right at, with great genetics. And, I, you know, I always tell people, you know, buy, buy the best geckos you can afford and make a breeding plan. So 
there's there's lots of hope, and you know this economy's been lousy to us, and we're you know the industry was on such a huge roll in in the late 2007, and then it's been hard for for a lot of people. So we'll come back, and uh, but there's going to be great great uh, discoveries and great colors coming, and and combinations and. I think all the colors will be revealed over the next few years in in just combinations that people can't imagine. Right. And um yeah, speaking of combinations and uh lines and genetics and, and we had like you said, we have a lot of great new people getting on board with breeding and keeping geckos. Uh some some of them are going on to create their own businesses and such. And um one of the issues that we've seen recently is uh, trade names for different lines being, um, I don't know, being misused in a sense and, uh, dare I say, being uh, uh, almost plagiarized. And, uh, you know, what, what do you think about naming lines, Ron, and um, what do you think uh, is a right, appropriate way to do it? Well, it's, you know, it's it's tough because we don't really have written laws of nomenclature for the leopard gecko morphs, you know, with with scientific work and different groups like the American Kennel Club with their breeds of dogs and the cage bird society and the fish people, they all have a real high structure and we may need to have to follow them and and people become uh, members of a, gov- you know, association that, you know, governs some of this and you know, over the years, I've tried my best to to give a written description of each morph or write a sort of a standard, if you will, of what makes, you know, something an eclipse or what makes something a blizzard and what this and that is. And so now it's getting so so tough, and we really don't have anything to control is sort of out of control uh, naming situation that's going on in that before there was just a few morphs and uh, you know some of the names are descriptive and some aren't but I think what's important is two things number one that uh, naming a morph, whether it's a recessive or a combo morph um, that's already been named, you know, a couple of years ago or three or four years ago, giving it a new name and trying to say there's something new about it, I think is is not right. And it confuses the beginners. We're getting right. so many names that I can't even keep up with it. Somebody was writing me about a crystal gecko the other day, and uh, I said, Helen, you know, what's a crystal? And she said, oh, that's over in Europe, blah, 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 and, you know, that's this and that, and she filled me in a little bit. You know, it's hard to keep up with all this, and even as someone that's involved as I am, it's like a full-time job fooling around with all these names. And so, you know, there's been some thought about, trademarking. Well, that that's, doesn't work, you know. This isn't the corporate world here, you know. You can't keep people from using the name or writing it on their website. I mean, you want the publicity if 
if you created the neon or or whatever, you know, um, then people should and you and someone buys your neon geckos, they should say, hey, these are neon geckos from this person. This is the neon line, and not say it's Billy Bob's neons the next week or mm-hmm. something. And uh, so. Uh, that's one thing. I think that people should, you know, if somebody names something, and, and let me tell you what, we cannot name and should not name every combination more because the number is going to, that's going to become so astronomical and so, so many sheer numbers of combination possibilities. It's not going to stop people from doing it. I mean, if it's a lot nicer sometimes to say, let's just say you have a super giant tangerine, snake-eyed, uh, white and yellow, uh, you know, super raptor with, you know, blah, 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 you know, like eight or nine genes in the thing. It is easier just to say I've got, you know, a aurora or a universal or something, and it's nice to do that, and some spectacular combos will, will be that way. But I think that, so those are my two comments. Number one, nobody should be renaming an already established combo more uh, another name and trying to represent it as something new. That, to me, is, is wrong plain and simple wrong, and it's misleading to a lot of people, and I think it's disrespectful to the person that first made the combo more. And my second comment is, let's not name every bloody combo, because there's going to be over a thousand combos in less than two years from now, and nobody's going to be able to remember or know what the heck they're talking about. Uh, by naming them all the different planets in the universe or different constellations <laughs> or something. And, and, you know, hey, I've named things, but I, I just, you know, I've got combos here. I'm not going to name them something unique. I'm just going to say what they are so that the beginners and everybody knows what we're talking about. This is, it, I just don't know how to get a grip on it. Do you guys have any ideas? Well, I just yes. give you, Tim, I'll give you a chance too. But let me just say this real quick, uh, Ron. Um, now, in the, in the case of like a specific line, like say, like like let's take tangerine trempers for instance, or or bells. Um, you have a hot loose line, you have a tangela line, and you have tangerine trempers. I have uh, some really nice bell bolt stripes, and then I have a group of bell bolt stripes that are a little different than my other ones, and I and they're sired by a certain male and. Uh, just for my own record keeping, I call them Van Gogh Bells because they're from him. They're from his line. And uh, it's a name that kind of stuck with people because when I sold them, I uh, I, sold, I, t- I tell them these are from Van Gogh's line and uh, that's the name of the male. And it, it kind of stuck. But And then, you know, like you have certain lines, like your hot moves and stuff. Now, in that case, um, I mean, is, is that okay? I mean, I don't, it's not absolutely, like... Absolutely, uh, absolutely. I mean, the dog people do that. I used to show uh, purebred dogs and breed purebred dogs. It's not a lot, but mm-hmm. I did it. And mm-hmm. when when you're buying a really nice-looking Airedale, they'll say, oh, is that from the Stone Ridge 
line, or is that from this line? And, you know, they're all purebred Airedale Terriers, but there's different lines. I don't see any problem with that. What I see a problem with is someone buying your Van Gogh line, and then a month later, or just because they hatched two babies themselves from your geckos, you know, renaming this line something or claiming it to be their own or things like that. I mean, uh, I think it's misleading and, 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 uh, and it happens all the time. And we can't control it. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And, 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 you know, it's, it's tough, but, but yeah, to just say a line that happens in the bird breeders, that happens with the fish breeders. There was a, Originally, a discus developed by a guy over in the Central Valley of California that I I knew, and he was his name was happened to you know be Mac also, and it was uh, the powder blue discus. They they called it Mac's powder blue discus, and you know this was 40 years ago, and so that was a certain line. So I don't see any problem with that. It's just that. When people are messing around or so anxious to name something, you know, they get their egos in the way and and it's misleading, you know, and and suddenly, you know, you have to prove yourself. And so the next step is, you know, for the listener or maybe yourself is when, how many generations do you breed your own geckos before you can call them something a little different? And Rebecca and I touched on that about six weeks ago. And um, I think that you have to make your mark. There has to be something created from the geckos you have that makes them stand out, makes that unique where you could, someone could say, hey, that came from so-and-so. When I walk through a reptile show, I've seen enough geckos in my life where I can just take a glance at, at the leopard geckos I'm looking at and know which line they are, basically, 90% of the time. I mean, that's how familiar I am with, you know, the different look and, and you know, the stuff that you see on different breeders' web pages that are well-established. You get a look for the style that Matt has and, and Steve and Garrett DeMeyer and, you know, what other breeders have done and, and uh, you know, and that kind of thing. So, you know... I'll tell you, the the people that want to jump in there and claim something or name something, you know, a few weeks after they get them or in the next month are, you know, basically hurting the beginners because all of us in the know, we know what's going on and we know what the heck, you know, is what. So, you know, it's... Irritates us, but we don't have time to be the gecko police. We can just encourage and create an environment on forums that are friendly and teach people the right way. But you know what? All the dog breeder people have scoundrels in it, too, and the fish people. Oh, my gosh. And you want to know a nightmare of bickering and fighting, you know, jump in with the ball python folks. I mean, (laughs) Goes, goes right up, goes right up the line. It doesn't. It's not, you know. It's just human nature. So, all we can do is control ourselves and set a good example for the new people, and uh, try to set some standards. And uh, but you know, 
nobody's that's you know imitating somebody or ripping somebody's idea off is going to get published in a reputable app or a book or something like that because it's just not going to happen. You know, you, you can't just be a beginner and whip out a book or or a reputable app or anything. Nobody's going to buy it if there's just nonsense in it and a bunch of false stories and, and wrong information and crazy genetics or something. So yep. I think it mostly, mostly confuses the uh, industry, all these extra names, and uh, it's it's definitely bothering some of the breeders around the country and uh, and, and overseas. And I think that, you know, there's nothing wrong. I think, you know, I mean, it makes sense if you buy a really top morph from a top breeder to say, hey, I got this. This gives me some credibility. At least people know so-and-so. The line produces great babies. You know, and a lot of people on their website or their postings, they'll say, I got my breeding stock from so-and-so. Here's the parents, uh, and here's my babies, and I think that's very effective, and I would encourage that, you know. But mm-hmm. people that want to hide who they got their geckos from are only tricking themselves and a few beginners because I'm not going to trick anybody that that knows anything. And what about the situation? And Tim, Tim, you know what? Let me just say one more thing, Tim, and then it's all yours. Um, sure. What about a situation, Ron, where um, you know you have a line of really nice emeries, for example, and we've seen that other breeders can also produce green geckos and uh, green greenish-hued tangerines. Now, you know, they have the very similar look. They all look the same. Um, they're all green. They're all greenish tangerines. Now, you're welcome, Brooke. Um, what, in a situation like that, how do you, for someone to say, all right, it's no longer an emery and I'm calling it a greenerine or something, you know. Um, what do you do in those situations, Ron, when it's clearly a different line, it was developed a little different, but it looks very similar to something else that's established? Well, yeah, this is this is the nature of the beast, everyone, because when you're dealing with polygenics, we can't just predict exactly what we're going to get, so it's not easy for any one breeder dealing with a polygenetic trait such as color to split off and differentiate themselves so easily because if you're breeding something as clear-cut as a recessive or a codon, it's pretty easy to break off if you've got a new line and show that difference just like in, you know, again in fish or purebred racehorses or whatever. But when you're dealing with something that's so unpredictable and so variable as polygenics, for instance, just the striped leopard gecko. I was talking to Steve Sykes a couple of days ago. We, we had a big hoe down for an hour and a half and, and got, you know, got a lot of meat on the table and had some fun talking. And, you know, you know just breeding two really great stripes together whether you're doing red stripe or reverse stripe or stripe, um, you breed them together, and out of ten babies, you're lucky to get one or two that resemble those great parents. I mean, the rest look like 
the stripe looks like a drunken sailor walking down the street or, or you know, it's, it's partial or dots or, you know. And so when it comes to green color, which is really a, a tough one, each gecko is sort of its own individual expression of what's possible. There's so many on and off switches that occur, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for that expression. And and so, yeah, because we don't have a clear, you know, green recessive gene and because, you know, pattern is so variable, it's very hard for any of us to uh, break out and say this is a unique line of green or emerald or emerine or whatever, and I think it's just the nature of the beast. It's very hard to define. It's very hard to duplicate uh, and predict uh, the best animals. And so much of what I offer and other top readers offer are they'll produce like 20 from really great parents and four or five of them get sold as high, high-end geckos that represent, a, you know, something that looks closer to mm-hmm. what they were trying to produce or actually just looks the best. And the rest are animals that aren't worthy. And so, you know, in this industry, basically, I, you know, color sells. You know, I tell that to people a lot of times, color sells. I mean, there's geckos that are, are just, you know, black and white and, you know, I like very much. Um, the Super Snow Bolts is something that I'm, I'm working on more and I like them very much. But, uh, but color sells and, and so it's, it's just going to be very hard. Um, basically, uh, you know, the green line stuff is just, it's going to be some years before it really gets to be so differentiated and so predictable. So I don't know, you know, when we're going to find a genetic stripe. They didn't have a genetic stripe in, in ball constrictors or ball pythons for some time, and you know, now they have like 12 recessives in ball pythons, and one of them is a genetic stripe. And, you know, so that, those genes are out there. They're, they could be uncovered where we get a genetic stripe or genetic reverse stripe or some combination hits or just some sport, random mutation occurs and it starts breeding where it's very predictable. That might be closer than we think, but right now it's it's hard to, um, you know, the green color is a tough one. Yeah, Mr. T, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying, and I like when you compare um, the leopard gecko hobby to dog breeding because everybody's familiar with uh, having different breed standards for, for dogs, so it's it's something everyone can associate with. Um, Good point, Karen. I've definitely noticed in some of the big box stores that they're starting to sell um, morph ball pythons and and label the morph ball pythons uh, for what they are and obviously charge more money. I was wondering um, 
why we haven't seen that with leopard geckos other than just albinos and 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 then uh kind of mixed morphs well i used to be a uh vendor for for pet smart i i shipped to a hundred stores around the united states of the thousand they have in north america i did that for a number of years um still uh it just wasn't practical and feasible for me to take on any more stores and deal with the bureaucracy and the the level that uh, they need for success. But uh, I can just tell you that uh, they try to uh, put in some animals that cost a little more. They they do great. You know, it's just like the TV commercials where every frickin' thing you see costs $19.99, right? That's sort of the threshold point for, for, I don't care if it's, you know, that thing that fixes your, you know, windshields or makes your pimples go away or fixes your gutters or whatever. Everything's 1995. That's the magic number for home shopping, people are willing to risk. And um, so with PetSmart, they have sort of magic numbers too. And, uh, you know, I left them about five, six years ago, but, they were trying to, you know, test the waters on more expensive tortoises and more expensive corn snakes and a few more expensive geckos. But uh, basically the big breeders that produce tens of thousands of reptiles for Petco and PetSmart, uh, you know, try to get the price to where they can move you know, hundreds and thousands of something, you know, and if it's only $10 more than the previous morph, they're making a lot of money with with all these stores they're shipping to. So, you know, the ball python thing is good. The leopard gecko thing, they've tried it a few times. Sometimes they get, you know, something like blizzards or, uh, you know, uh, Murphy Patternless or Super Snows, and uh, but basically they want to pay one price for albino leopard geckos, uh, normal high yellow leopard geckos, and um, things like uh, a Murphy Patternless. They want that all three of those to be one price they they pay, you know, for the babies and so forth. So. It's all about price, and these pet stores have gone through this recession too, and it's pretty tough to sell somebody a $200 ball python, and then they've got to spend another $150 on the cage and equipment. So um, just in the waters, about 10 years ago or so, Bill Brandt took me into a special room in Florida. He breeds a lot of animals for Petco, and he showed me pied ball pythons and albino ball pythons, which were really expensive back then. And he said, well, we're going to breed these for the next 10 years, so we're going to breed the price down and and get them into stores where, um, you know, instead of selling them a ball python for $14.99, we can sell them a ball python for $100, $150, and uh, we're going to breed these by the thousands. And sure enough, it's very effective. They, they've been wonderful with their work, and 
it it does provide the beginning person to get hold of something that's kind of cool and special at a cheaper price, but um, you know it, it can really affect the market. Yes, and I, I noticed um, Bill uh, brought up in a in a talk um, that I saw him do that um, they were kind of introducing those morphs into certain niche um, stores that uh, they knew had um, more reptile sales. And just the reason why I brought up uh, the point is because I think it definitely relates to this conversation. And if if newcomers to the hobby are being introduced to leopard geckos at these big box stores, um, it would be great if right from their introduction that they saw that there are these other morphs um, that are more valuable monetarily and, you know, would investigate it maybe even prior to, to their purchase. And then that would help uh, clear up all of these questions that we're, we're trying to answer now. Yeah, I think that um, there's that the big box stores are provide a entry level, and I worked with, you know, writing care sheets for PetSmart. Uh, you know, I do uh, product development for United Pet Group that own, owns Tetrafauna and and Jungle and Eight and One and Marineland, and uh, you know, they really are always trying to be more professional professional, bring the cutting edge uh, products and equipment and animals to the public. At the same time, they're having to deal with price points. And so it's kind of tough. Yes, there's certain stores, and they track it with all the scanning and barcodes and sales reports. You know, like any other corporation, PetSmart and Petco track, which is their highest volume-selling reptile stores in the nation and they'll try out new new products new equipment new new things uh new tanks um at those stores stores as a test just like uh, you're getting into blooming uh, bloomingdale's or into tiffany's or you know neiman marcus and you've got you're making cool necklaces they'll test market something they think has some potential and they, instead of saying no, what's kind of interesting, instead of saying no to the product, they'll actually have um, distributors, breeders ship to those target stores the higher-end stuff, and the regular stores don't get them uh, because it's not going to move or it's going to get uh, stolen or, or uh, lost in the shuffle. So a lot of it's management and a lot of it's location. Certain stores you know, around America uh, do much better with their reptile volume than others. Okay, Dave, uh, are we getting ready for the uh, mid-show break? Yes, we are. I was just going to jump in. I just want to make sure you uh, you had finished your thought. Okay, cool. Everybody, uh show's going great. I'm really impressed with all the information we're going, getting out there tonight. Um, we're going to take a short break, and we get when we get back, we're going to get into some really exciting news from Ron. So everybody hang tight and uh, stick with us. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. 
Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by... Ohio Gecko is famous for amazing tangerines, snows, and other very unique leopard gecko projects. Thad also has some incredible fat tail morphs available from stingers to starbursts. Visit him online at ohiogecko.com and at expos in the Northeast. He is also the owner of geckoforums.net. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need. From Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more. And all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Supreme Gecko is a great source for crested geckos, day geckos, and other species including micro geckos. Wally Kern is a top-notch breeder and gecko enthusiast. Visit supremegecko.com for his available animals and supplies. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets for your pets, contact them at www.rainbowmealworms.net. All right, everybody, and I also want to uh, take this opportunity to welcome our newest sponsor, and that's Daryl Burton. Uh, Daryl Burton is now a new gecko breeder, and his operation is called Longhorn Geckos. And it's a father and son team that specializes in A-plus gecko genetics, only the best of the best. And uh, that's, those are the kind of breeders I like. And uh, he's working on stuff like Super Tangelos, Pastel Raptors, White and Yellow Bells, and some really interesting pureline wild types and subspecies. Uh, you can find him on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash longhorngeckos and coming soon at his website at uh, longhorngeckos.com. So uh, check him out and uh, uh, keep an eye on what he's working on because definitely some exciting stuff coming from him. And also want to let everybody know of two standing discounts that are available from our great sponsors, one being giantleopardgecko.com is offering our listeners 25% off until September 30th by using the code GNR, Gecko Nation Radio, those are the initials, GNR2014, okay? And again, that's good till September 30th. So go ahead and check it out. It's got some really nice stuff. Also, AB Dragons, you want to get 5% off uh, your order of Dubia Roaches, okay? Use the code GECKO, all in caps, at checkout, and... Uh, Reno from AB Dragons will definitely take care of you. All right, folks, we're going to get back into our interview now with Ron Tremper. I'm going to go ahead and bring back my co-host, Tim, and Ron. Um, well, Ron, Tim, Ron, what do you say we uh, start off this, this hour with uh, that other cool news that you wanted to share with us? Absolutely, guys. Well, I, I'm so excited myself, you know, just personally excited because I like 
uh, discovery. I like challenges. I like seeing something that I've never seen before. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to have tremendous uh, ramifications throughout the leopard gecko industry in the world. Uh, it is the pastel. And uh, what we've got, though, is uh, something more than I thought I had uh, by far. Uh, the pastel, of course, came from the uh, uh, first blue belly one uh, uh, with that beautiful blue and turquoise color and all uh, was uh, that lost its color. And I kept breeding them all these years uh, since uh, 2009, that, that the unique baby hatched in March of 2008. Um, I just wanted to so much express that blue turquoise animal and uh, I was just obsessed on that, didn't want to let too many out because, you know, I didn't want to let the cow out of the barn on my, on my blue belly project. And uh, these, these uh, raptors, uh, uh, right away I started calling them pastel raptors here with the staff, and the word got around, and I started letting a few out. And uh, I just really, they always got my attention. I knew they were special looking. Uh, they were, you know, pretty much a cut above any other raptor that anyone's ever seen in, in any pattern. But what I didn't know and what is the big announcement is, is that they weren't just uh, pretty raptors. They were expressing the gene, the pastel gene in them. And this pastel gene is a gene unto itself. It can be expressed in any morph, and it's extremely, extremely beautiful results. Oh, my gosh. Right now, guys, live is the pastel information page on my website. Just click on available. It's at the top. It's just gone live right now, and it will show the entire world what I know and what has been coming to me from the other breeders of the pastel gene over the last months. And so there's vivid pictures there that show that this is much more than a lion-bred uh, raptor. The, the beautiful uh, blue-bellied turquoise animal in reality was a raptor with the pastel gene. And so we have a new gene, whether it's going to prove out 100% dominant or be one what they refer to as a dominant polygenic form, or maybe even it's possible that these striped, not striped, but these pastel raptors that I've been selling, these males, might even be the super form of the pastel. Uh, we're getting some spectacular results. The web page is Pastel Information. And um, so you can look that up, look at everything, and everything I've been trying to uh, put together is presented there in writing and vivid pictures from some of the other producers. So, um, yeah, maybe I had a senior moment. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just... You know, and not my wildest dreams that I think that the pastel raptor was looking that way because of a gene that could be in any morph. And uh, this spring, I, I started getting some results from a breeder in 
Germany that I had sold a pastel raptor to last year, and he started showing me some of his results, so I immediately started breeding it to other morphs here, and the results on the pastel information page speak for themselves, folks. It's dramatic. It's impressive. It's a vivid color enhancer like I've never seen. And it literally looks like it's uh, gone from analog TV to HD in one step. And so it's, an, it's uh, totally an enhancer, right? Yeah, totally an enhancer and also uh, predictable. That's the wonderful thing is that when you're reading these, some of the pairs I've bred now, the five or six clutches, the young are all coming out similar to each other. In other words, you don't get like 10 color variations, and, you know, and and then only one of the babies is worthy, and then when you try to reproduce the real knockout baby, you can't ever get the color again. It's not like that. It's totally predictable, extreme enhancer. It's just unbelievable. I mean, guys, look at the web page, uh, pastel information. It's up right now live. I mean, if you see, take a look at that, what happened when I bred a, um, a pastel raptor to an albino bandit. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy looking. Uh, that, that animal that's turning all lavender and all the cool colors, uh, that's an albino bandit. And imagine... Now it's that animal's pet raptor. Imagine that animal with all red eyes, and that's exactly what I'm going to make next year with those combinations. So this gene, I mean, I've I bred, I just had a couple extra ugly snow hypos around. I bred the pastel raptor to an ugly snow uh, hypo. The first baby that hatched, turned into the most screaming creamsicle I've ever seen. I didn't have to line breathe for four or five years trying to turn ugly uh, snow hypo into something beautiful. It happened the first gecko I hatched from the combination. So, folks, it's the gene, not the more. This pastel gene is going to be a huge development. We've had great, prolific production. We've got one female that's now on eggs 23 and 24. Of my 15 females we're laying this year, uh, they've produced 16 babies apiece almost across the boards and several much higher, as I said. So this gene is a huge color enhancer. It allows even a beginner to uh, read something significant right away and and there was no way you guys no way I could read this to all the different morphs and show you all the different possibilities that wouldn't been any fun for everybody else anyway this leaves the door open for anyone out there to get their hands on the pastel gene to make some combinations I mean when you look at those pictures I would have never predicted breeding an albino tremper albino banded to a albino bandit and coming up with what you see on that page. I, I would have never predicted that. We have 10 babies from that pairing. 
we've got six that look like that crazy good-looking lavender color. And, guys, this is also going to open the door for an all-lavender patternless leopard gecko real quickly. And um, so everybody needs to start thinking outside the box and thinking, like, it's not so much what you see on that page, it's what you can imagine. What you can There's do no with doubt it, yeah. in my mind. It's crazy. Isn't that crazy, some of those geckos? I mean, I really didn't have to put up a whole bunch of words, but I want to be thorough. Everybody asks a lot of questions. And uh, so I really didn't know what I had in my hands. I knew I had beautiful raptors and people were buying them and everything. But now that I see that this uh, is something so unique and so valuable, um, and so the page that's going to go live tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Central Time, it's just got 13 uh, male pastels of three different morphs for sale. They're, they're not thousands and thousands of dollars each like some of the other morphs that have come out. You know, our economy and the number of people that can afford expensive decos is not real high, so I've tried to price them so that there's value there for everybody. And I don't change my prices. Everybody knows that. And there's not going to be a huge price drop uh, next month or anything like that. And so um, I've been working on this thing for some years. I've seen how they duplicate themselves within the pastel. And pastel times pastel is crazy good looking. It takes the, the color even to a higher degree. And all you have to do is look at the examples on on that page, that information page that's live now. And so uh, I think that this opens the door for a lot of a lot of questions. There's a lot of unknowns. I don't know all the answers. All I know is it's one of the coolest things I've ever gotten my hands on for a long time and I'm happy to share it and uh, share all that I know about it. And so it, it it's gonna be way cool and uh i mean the people that have them are 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 flipping out i'm hearing from breeder in korea from europe those in the united states uh the kind of stuff they're coming up with and it's undeniable that it's something really special and very cool when did you start when did you start realizing uh something was going on with these you know obviously uh it wasn't the blue bellies that you were expecting when you started the breeding project. Um, when, di- when did you uh, start catching on that something was going on here? Well, like I say, I, I worked on just breeding them to each other. I didn't want to breed out to anything else because I didn't want to dilute this line that I had going trying to express the blue belly and turquoise gecko. Um, that lost its color at, you know, four to six weeks of age. So I didn't just, you know, go and breed it to some other gecko because I knew that this was a closed group of genetics that I had, and I was trying like crazy all my best efforts to to keep all those animals and keep breeding them to each other and trying to express a gecko that would be something we could all duplicate that would have that beautiful turquoise blue and just run with it. So it didn't cross my mind and literally until 
uh, I got results from a friend in Europe of what he was doing, and then it dawned on me that the Pastel Raptor looked that way because a unique gene was in it, and it turns out that gene can be in any morph. It's It's got immense potential. I want to tell everybody, I've been doing this a long time. When I say something's good and exciting, it's going to be good and exciting. That's all I can say. And um, so uh, anybody, <laughs> one guy, one guy overseas said, I'm going to have to throw away all my geckos now and, and start over because this pastel gene is, is just unbelievable what it does to them. So it's going to be very cool. Um, there was a guy in Korea. His pictures were not good, so I couldn't put them on the info page. He bred his pastel uh, raptor to a dreamsicle, and he sent me this real crappy picture of a pastel enigma, and it's uh, al- you know albino, and uh, it's it's crazy good looking. You can kind of tell it's an an enigma, but it's got uh, you know some of the characteristics of the um, pastel, like the white socks and the light head top marking and all that, that are sort of the uh, eclipse markers. But they're very enhanced in the uh, in the pastel when the pastel gene gets mixed in with uh, the eclipse or raptor line. So you know, how do all these other combo possibilities look? I don't know. People are going to make stuff. I'm sure a lot of people, including myself, will be envious of because I can't do it all, and it's a wide open frontier with this new gene. Um, you know, I've had that closed system with it since 2008 when the first babies hatched, and now I started breeding them to others. So to answer your question, I just fully did not understand how good a thing I had in my hands until... I shared it with other people, and they went and bred it to some other morphs. And then as soon as I saw the first gecko, nobody had to hit me in the head twice to let me know it hurts. I, <laughs> I, saw, I, saw, one, I saw one gecko from a, like a breeder in Europe that got a mail from me last year, and then the light went on, and I just immediately went out, told Helen, pull out those extra females, all the virgins line this stuff up. We're putting the we're putting the pastel raptors to these this lineup, and boom, results I didn't expect. And you can see the pictures on the info page. And that page will grow and evolve over the next days and weeks. Um, I'll keep adding to it, and as other information comes in, and uh, I don't have. All the answers, all I know is cool, predictable, healthy, and really makes the geckos pop like HDTV. And that's what I can definitely see. And, uh, you know, Ron, we've talked, and I I have a gecko here that I believe is a pastel raptor, and um, this was back when, you know, you sent it to me two years ago uh, with one of my orders, and um, it looks like every other male pastel raptor that you've, posted for sale, and um, I think he just kind of gave it to me 
in, in a package, uh, you know, and I've been trying to figure it, figure it out what's going on with it. But um, what I noticed right away was that it was something extremely different than any other raptor I've seen, enough that I isolated it and I bred it to specific animals. And it produces consistently very unique and just, like you said, high-definition offspring, enough that they're unique enough that I actually separate them and put them into groups because I can clearly see that there's something different and just a little better about them. And when we, like you were saying earlier about when you breed a lot of geckos, you often find these little new projects that just pop up randomly in your collection and you put them aside and you figure out what you're going to, you know, do with them. And and these types of things take years to fully figure out. And, And none of us are really geneticists, uh, but, um, you know, trying to figure out how these genes work and what's really going on with them can be a big challenge. So I think what you're doing is really cool by, you know, definitely helping to get these out to other good breeders that can take it seriously and basically work out um, the finer points of uh, what's going on with this, this gene. Well, yes, exactly. And, um, I sent out my mailing list worldwide is about 3,500 serious gecko people, and a lot of the listeners, I'm sure, got a little bit of a mail from me today. Uh, but um, you know, it's a start. We've got, uh, we're going to be able to see this expressed in a lot more morphs. I'm currently breeding it to uh, about uh, I think nine other morphs right now. So there'll be more eggs coming and hatching between now and Christmas. Uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, so that will, you know, be interesting to see what the heck uh, you can get. But all I know is is that you can duplicate your results. And so that's how it's really quite different from the Enigma. You know, you breed the Enigma and you get one in a million type gecko, all the... Uh, know, different particles line up, and then you can't ever duplicate it exactly or even get close, and so it's frustrating for people. And uh, so what's cool is that this is a huge opportunity to get in on something new. It's, you know, four months ago, Steve Sykes called me up and said, Ron, things are getting a little dull out here in the gecko world for me. You know, do you have a new gene? And I told him about the three projects I've outlined tonight and reported on. And um, so he's very excited, and he said he's going to be the first one on the website tomorrow morning. You know, I think uh, anybody that can afford to get involved right now with this gene will not regret it because it's going to be a huge development. And... uh, you know, it really stands out. There's some snow, uh, uh, you know, pastel raptor uh, that have occurred. Uh, Daryl recently got one from me, and there's an example of another one on the uh, page there of different varieties of the, what the pastel does. So, uh, you know, it's it's going to be real interesting. And I think because, because this, lavender thing keeps coming out so strongly in uh, these initial groups of offspring and mind you there aren't 
thousands of pastel geckos out there. There's still just, you know, dozens in the world. But mm -hmm. that'll change quickly. And um, so there's going to be, I think, I really believe that the, uh, the all-blue gecko is going to come out of, of, uh, of these genetics. And I know, for, I, I'm just really, really sure that we can make uh, a patternless uh, lavender, uh, all lavender gecko that really stands out and is crisp and clean. I mean, folks, look, look down the page right now on that info page and take a close look on those, on those two um, uh, snow hypo uh, babies. On the left, you see uh, uh, the baby with the orangey head and the orangey bands coming in. Look how clean that cream color banding is. Look how black the black is compared to uh, the normal uh, snow hypo right next to it. And compare that, look closely at the details. These, as they grow, that, that crisp, crispness of color and clarity and purity remains. So this is just breeding to an ugly snow hypo. Look what occurred. And so when you start comparing that, you quickly see that something very serious is going on that can be duplicated. And uh, we're going to learn more. It's going to be exciting. A lot of people are going to contribute. There'll be, you know, weeks when we think we've got everything figured out, the whole community, and there'll be other revelations occur. Uh, but yep. there's, it's going to be huge. And I want to tell you, uh, you know, you get a, a, um, a pastel red stripe. We're working on that. Uh, that you know, there's just all kinds of things that should be popping in people's heads. Don't focus on the morph; focus on the gene. And and so you want to get your hands on that pastel gene when you can. You know, I know I'm only offering 13 animals right now, but I have uh, have uh, you know that many more growing out, and that that I think that you know we could spare, and and we you know it's going to be a wonderful thing and not you know and it's not going to be something that disappoints people this is going to be mm -hmm. a very a very cool thing and uh you know people are going to be breeding it every which direction so i'm excited about it as you can tell i think anybody looking at that info page you know will have uh excitement we don't know all the answers but you know it'll sort itself out just know that it's the real deal and uh, it's significant. And you know what? While we're on the topic of genetics, I want to go ahead and bring on Daryl because uh, he has something really, uh, he has an insight that I think would be valuable to our talk tonight. Daryl, you're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Daryl, you with us? I can't hear him. You must be cleaning hey, geckos. Yeah, maybe he fell asleep. I had him on hold a while. Are you there, bud? <laughs> all right, uh, call back in, Daryl. But uh, all right, well, there's a lot of other um, topics that you know Tim and I wanted to talk with you tonight uh, about Ron. Why don't you go ahead, Tim? Why don't you take the next uh, question you had for Ron? Um, so 
Mr. T, what, in your experience so far with the Pastel Raptors, which um, which uh, morphs do you, do you like um, the results uh, from the breedings of? Well, it's been limited to what you see on the info page there. Now, uh, I haven't uh, done a lot of – I have breedings going on now uh, with the Pastel Raptor just times regular uh, trim for albino. And uh, some of the other people with the pastel raptor males have produced, and, and I'm waiting on a few pictures, and we'll put them on the page um, hopefully in the next couple of days, you know, what results. But the pictures that I've seen that um, have come in here at the last minute are, uh, you know, just back up everything I've said. You know, they're just fantastic results. Everybody that's received the pastel raptors, you know, because that's all I had were pastel raptors uh, to sell, because um, that's what it was a closed project until recently. And so now I've read it uh, to, uh, we have it going to uh, sun glows, uh, blazing blizzards, uh, blizzards, um, white and yellow. Uh, Red stripe uh, and some wild, wild line, wild caught line, purebred wild caught uh, macularius, regular leopard gecko. Uh, we've got uh, one or two like that. We're in, the, we're in the process of breeding the pastel gene too. It'll tell us a little bit more about its genetics because Early things there. get a little big deal. Daryl's not there. And, uh, I'm here. there. Can y'all hear me? Yes. Hello. We can hear you. Go ahead, Ron. Continue. Daryl, you're on the line. Just so you know. Yeah. So we're bringing it to a lot of morphs, and I, I'm sure other people that have the pastel gene that I let out earlier before I knew just how uh, special it was, um, I thought I was just selling pretty raptors, you understand. And now it ran found out that what made them pretty was a gene that can go into any morph. So everybody's going to be a bit of a gold rush here, people putting it into different morphs and seeing what we get and what, you know, some might be ugly, some might be beyond the, our imagination. Uh, it may be uh, uh, a whole ball of wax that, uh, you know, just has to evolve. So we're, we're going to be, you know, breeding it to, every morph we have and uh you know i already put the super giant gene into it and the snow gene and i'm finding it very easy to tell a a snow um pastel albino compared to trying to tell if something's a snow white and yellow albino i think that's been a challenge to a lot of people uh but i'm having uh, no trouble picking out a a uh a snow pastel albino uh, from from uh, the projects. In fact, the uh, the pastel uh, albinos uh, you can throw them in with you know twenty um, you know a hundred other leopard geckos, and if there were twenty pastels in the group, you could pick them out as fast as you're picking black marbles out of a group of uh, white marbles. Uh, they really stand out as young. 
the pastels. And the, the top picture on the info page shows you that. Uh, they, uh, that's just one example. Some have less yellow than that. Some have more orange. Some have, uh, you know, there's a variation. But they all have that light pastel color and as an albino. And so it would be pretty easy for anybody now that's seen them to pick that out of just a group of normal banded albinos. So everyone's going to be uh, breeding them to different things. There's no way I can do it all. So there's plenty of room for everybody to make their mark and and just see where this genetic goes. All right. Uh, Daryl, why don't you jump in and uh, tell us a little bit about the pastels that you have in your collection. And also, uh, comments about uh, your theory on some of how the, the ghetto genetics uh, work, if you would. Okay. Well, the the... I've got three pastels that I've purchased from Ron. The first two actually were the first two geckos that I picked out at his place a year ago, 4th of July. Uh, Of course, not knowing any of this, I just liked them because they were very nice, very pretty and clean looking, and uh, he didn't have to twist my arm very hard to to, uh, pick them up. Uh, Then the last one, like he just mentioned, I picked up a snow mail from him. Uh, about a month ago, earlier this month, uh, just because my first two were just uh, regular pastel raptors, so I wanted the snow version as well. And then, of course, all these geckos that everybody's seeing on the page, I looked at some of them firsthand in his shop, and it, it's just amazing the difference that you can see in them. Um, and the... the uh, the bandit albino, the first one that he has, I saw it. I was trying to talk him out of it, but he wouldn't partake with that. So anyway, I, I, I'm really excited about it. Uh, I don't have he anything. Tell it to you? No, he was he was hoarding it, I think. But uh, <laughs> it, I, I don't have any eggs cooking yet. Uh, I have bred the uh, two regular pastels. She's fixing to lay eggs any day. It looks like so. Um, I haven't tried to put the uh, snow mail on anything either, Ron. But uh, I'm I'm, all, I'm excited to see what happens and uh, and to see what's coming down the pike with it. I, I'm uh, I'm a firm believer in it. After after talking with Ron and looking at some of the animals that he's he's uh, hatched out in his test breeding, and it's really impressive. So um, I, I you know I don't know enough about it either. I'm I'm definitely a newbie as far as breeding leopard geckos, but um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be very interesting. So. Awesome, man. Well, my arm still hurts from all that twisting you did here the other day. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. If anybody ever has a chance, uh, it's it's quite an experience to walk in there and look at a lot of different things, from turtles to tortoises to snakes geckos, lizards, chameleons. It's like going to the zoo at Ron's house. Yeah. So and and there what do you what do you think about these genetics that we're working on and how the and uh how some of these line these genes actually work and how how they're produced and unlocked in a sense. I know some people don't like the term unlocked, but I think it's a perfect way of explaining how these genes just come out like of examples of geckos that normally 
you know, you wouldn't think to produce something, and all of a sudden, a new uh, gene is produced from it. And um, I think it's, I, I think it's just incredible that where we're at right now. But Dale, you have a, new, a unique way of um, looking at this. What do you? Why don't you explain a little bit to us? Well, I, I think Grind hit the nail on the head. Whenever you're talking about leopard gecko genetics, there's just so much we don't know. And they work a little different than uh, than the mammalian genetics that everybody's used to. <clears throat> and how things line up is really, really tricky. I think, uh, you know, and in the polygenetic traits and stuff like that, I think, you know, just some things don't line up well. And, and uh, some things line up very well. And, and that's what you've got to figure out, not only whenever you're dealing with the recessive traits and the, Dominant and co-dominant, which just drive me crazy because the the gecko community just doesn't use those two terms correctly, as far as I'm concerned. But you know, I mean, uh, it, it, it's just difficult. We don't know what we're dealing with when you throw three different uh, albino strains involved. When you throw in three different snow strains. You know, which I'm not convinced that there's three, but you know, I mean, whenever you, you you've got so much going on in a in a small package that um, it's very very hard for for somebody that that uh, even kind of understands how genetics works. It's hard to deal with, much less somebody that doesn't understand it at all. And that's that's a lot of our problem in today in the hobby today is you've got some people that that uh, think they know or, or know, you know, my favorite saying is they know just enough to be dangerous, and that's me sometimes, but um, I just, uh, I think we got a whole lot going on, and then, and then you know, like, like Ron said, we, it doesn't work like, like uh, a lot of people think it does, and uh, help me out here, Ron, how do you explain that? I mean, it's just a, it's just a tough scenario to deal with. You know, I think that, you know, you have a pretty good clarity in that you can understand, you know, a lot of what's going on and also understand what you don't know, uh, that there's parts that you don't know because of your background with snake breeding and so forth. Um, it is hard. And, you know, uh, basically with leopard geckos, what you see is what you get. I mean... There are some unexplained things, and that is when I say what you see, you know, what you get is, you know, when you breed two pretty nice-looking leopard geckos together of the same morph, you're pretty much going to get this something that's very similar to the parents. What's happening a lot out there is there's literally a lot of mutts. We'll go back to the dog breeding uh, nomenclature. There's a lot of mixed breeds. And they're, they're, people are just breeding stuff at random together. And I get six or eight males a day with all this big bunch of photo albums of geckos named Pixie and Jimmy and Bobby Boo. And that they want me to tell them, they want me to tell them what morph it is. And it's each one, each gecko's a nightmare. I mean, it's, you know, it's not, it's a mutt. And so, you know, you know, at least try to get something that's pure. And, you know, uh, 
you know, and, what are you and you're going though, to Ron? commercial. What well, are you telling me? <laughs> well, it's hard because these people generally are beginners and they're trying to find their way and they're trying to land at a forum or a page that they feel comfortable on and they're trying to find out, you know, if, you know, and typically they ask everybody they know for advice, but a lot of people they ask don't know and, you know, give them bad advice. But, yeah, the leopard gecko genetics, you you really need to buy uh, pure things. And, 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 and so many of the bigger breeders have their own lines. I mean, uh, Steve Sykes' Extreme Amarine, it's... It fills the bill. I mean, I've looked at it, and it's a little different tone, a little different build than than mine, but it's an albino amarine, and he's doing a great job. Same with Matt. He's got things that I don't have. I have things that he doesn't have, but, you know, he has his lines of stuff. So I suggest to the listener to cut down as much confusion as possible to buy a pair of geckos of of one line or more from the same breeder. When you start, you can mix things. I mean, you can mix stuff from breeder to breeder, you know, as long as they're the same purebred morph. But it's better to, you know, buy a pair of leopard geckos from breeder A that you want instead of buying one from breeder A and one from breeder B sometimes. Um or everybody's anxious to make their own morph, so they start mixing things together. And as soon as people do that, often they're diluting years of hard work, uh, you know, trying to make something uh, different, and then they get frustrated. So uh, the purebred lines are are, are fairly established. Uh, I wish we had more recessives out there because then, you know, things can be real clearly defined. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's it's a tough road to follow. And, and Daryl, you're doing a, a good job. Uh, I've noticed uh, people that have jumped in the last couple of years, like Jared Johnson in Colorado and yourself, have, you know, gone out there and um, had a plan, uh, bought, you know, pairs from different breeders, and are uh, breeding those geckos together and not getting some crazy idea of, uh, you know, creating the uh, next Sigourney Weaver movie called Gecko uh, Restoration or something and, and uh, <laughs> you know, you know, bringing these things down from outer space and, and mixing them all <laughs> together. So, uh, Well, I, you're exactly right, Ron, and that was my whole philosophy when I started, you know, I mean, I'm just like everybody else. I started out, Caden, I started out with with one, uh, you know, Petco gecko, you know, before we realized what was going on. And and then after you start doing the research and, and looking at things, that's exactly what I did. You know, I bought several different lines of geckos that I have bred this year and breeding everybody's geckos. Uh, you know, I've got the Ron Trimper geckos. I'm breeding with Ron Trimpers, and you know the David's fine geckos with David's fine geckos, and the John Scarborough's gecko boa with gecko boas. You know, I mean that's that's my three uh, 
direct contacts with the with the community or, the, or those three breeders, and I'm breeding all their animals to themselves. So at the end of the day, a I didn't know what I was going to get out of it, and so this way I can at least contact the guys that I got it from and said, what is this? You know, if I have any questions, which I've done with you, with every one of you guys, I've sent them and, you know, everybody gets back to me and gives me an answer. But, uh, you know, and it was a, a learning curve. That was my whole, whole take on it was buy quality animals, get them from the right guys, learn what you're breeding and what you're looking at and what you see. Like you say, what you see, what you get and be able to identify it. Whereas breeding something off the wall you know where you're like you say you're making a mutt even though it may be a a a pure line mutt so to speak like a labradoodle or something like that you're still muddy in the waters and can pop up some crazy stuff but um you know i there's plenty of things out there for you know for people to breed you know but it, it just seems like to me that the people that are asking you what is this more you know, they're hoping that they got something for nothing. Uh, and they may have, but they'll never know because if you don't know the genetics behind it, the the parents or who you got it from, then what do you have? You've just got a pretty gecko. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a yeah, good point. Honestly. Go ahead, Tim. You got some more questions? We lost okay. him. Maybe Tim... I, I've got well. something. Sorry about that. I got something for you, Ron. Kind of, kind of yeah. off base, but what's what's the? I've noticed I don't have very many, you know. Which uh, I bought one from you, and I've got one from Dave, and one from John. I've got just a few white and yellow projects that I'm working on, and boy, I'm really struggling getting good eggs out of those projects. Do you notice that whenever you're dealing with the white and yellow gene? Or whatever, for lack of a better term, uh, if it's a line bread trade or or what. But do you see where the the when you breed them, the, your production is not as good as is say a, just a typical bandit or a typical albino or something like that? Yes, and in fact, the founder of the white and yellow, Sergei Prokhorchuk, is a friend of mine since 1989. I visited him in Russia in 89, 90, and 91, and he developed the white and yellow for 10 years and before he let any out, and then mostly let them out to friends in Germany and uh, other parts of Eastern Europe. And uh, I've been in contact with him a lot recently and with people that got and still do get animals directly from Sergey, the founder of the White and Yellow. And um, they openly say that the uh, White and Yellow females often don't lay eggs uh, or lay one egg clutches. So um, Helen brought over White and Yellow from France two years ago and have been producing, and and she's had similar uh, barren female situations. So, uh, you know, all I can say is is that uh, it was just something that Sergei uh, offered himself up. It was uh, through some emails recently and some talk with uh, 
Marco Struck over in Germany, who's got a ton of stuff directly from Sergey and, and goes to the shows with Sergey. So, um, uh, they, they report that the, kind of what you're finding, that it's a little tough. And, and, uh, we, we haven't produced hundreds of white and yellows here, but, uh, we're finding that there's some issues of females never laying or one egg clutches. And, uh, so it, you know, you know, and, you know, that makes, uh, you know, the work a little harder and more frustrating, but also makes good white and yellows, uh, valuable. Uh, you know, they're hard to get and, uh, hard to, uh, put together, I guess, to get the very best examples. So, uh, that's all I could offer on that, Daryl, uh, that's, some recent information the last two weeks that I've received since you were here, and I didn't know you were experiencing the, that kind of situation. But uh, yeah, you know, I got I, I I got the one blood emerging cross white and yellow female from you in the mail, you know, blood cross, and I have gotten one viable offspring out of about oh, she's laid six eggs, I believe. And uh, the first clutch, uh, she produced the one burnt orange emmerine gecko that I sent you pictures of, and then the other egg never hatched. Then the second clutch, neither egg hatched. And now I'm waiting on the third clutch. It's still good, um, and it should hatch any day. <clears throat> but... Then I got a. The question is, do you think the female? You know, I'm with you there, and that's what I'm seeing is is I have another pair that I got from John, but it's the the female is a lavender Jim Snow Bell, and the male is is a lavender white and yellow, and that female has laid one egg clutch eight times now, and none of them have been good. Uh, so listening to you talk, they say the females seem to be struggling. So you think if you have the male white and yellow that your your chances are better? If your male genes in the white and yellow is in the male side, not the female side? Uh, apparently so. Um, that's, what, that's what I'm hearing. Now, I, yeah. I can't answer that 100%. I've just heard that female white and yellows are you know, having trouble laying uh, two egg clutches or laying eggs at all and, and having some issues. And so um, this is the experience of, you know, two very experienced people uh, in Europe, the founder of the Morph that's been working with them now for 14 years, and uh, right. Marco, who, who has, you know, seems to go and cherry-pick Sergei's uh, white and yellow collection for the last four or five years, and there's really top animals and knows a lot about the morph, and so has worked with it a long time. And, and you know, in gathering information and just doing my due diligence for the new uh, revision of the Leopard Gecko Pro uh, update of the app, uh, it led me to, you know, try to get the most recent information on everything I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with, and that's how I came across uh, this information from from Europe directly from the horse's mouth. So, 
you know, other breeders might have other experiences or have developed a, a line of white and yellows that are a little stronger or or something, but it makes them kind of precious, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure does. I've, yeah. I've heard a, a snake breeder say, um, you know, that these are these morphs are mutants, and what are the chances that the only mutation is the color mutation that's visible that we can see? I think overall we're lucky um, that there aren't more morphs that have reproductive and other health issues, um, you know, kind of like the Enigma has. I think we're lucky that most of them are pretty healthy and, and reproduce um, strongly. Good point. Exactly. That's exactly right. And, you know, when you've been hatching thousands and thousands of young, uh, you do see um, mutations you don't want. And, uh, you know, oh, that leads up an interesting point. This time of year, we're kind of the peak of the hatching season. Uh, some people are reporting uh, crinkled eyelids or geckos with no eyelids. And um, uh, this crops up, it, it sometimes it crops up here as, as well and when we uh, get a low on osteoform and try to use some other product or whatever. It's a vitamin A deficiency that causes that and, uh, and it can be easily corrected by, by bumping up your vitamin A. So those of you that are might be seeing crinkled eyelids or no eyelids on geckos, it's nutritional and not genetic and um, that can be something that uh, can be used, you know, fixed in the uh, in the adult female and uh, the mother of those young. And those young can be used for breeding. I I I've never really grown up geckos with no eyelids before, but I imagine that they could close their pupil and sleep and and certainly can see their food at all times. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, uh, you know, you're right, Tim. It's the tip of the iceberg. You know that in ball pythons, there are certain lethal genes. Uh, caramel albinos are noto- notorious for having kinks. Um, the uh, spider ball pythons, some lines shake their head back and forth, have tremors. Uh, there's lethal genes in in different breeds of dog, pairings, and uh, so on. And so we're bound to uh, just, yeah, we're lucky that we're dealing with all these uh, really uh, mutated genes that are wouldn't survive in nature most likely. And uh, so, you know, it's important also to get some stock from outside. You know, once you've bred things together for six, seven years, you can start seeing some variation in the um, proportion of the tail. Uh, You can get uh, split nostrils, uh, little, you know, uh, you can get uh, shortening of the body. You know, know, we've had leopard geckos hatched with no tails, and it might be genetic, but we we're not going to find out, and uh, so you know we don't we don't uh, let those geckos persist in our colony. But uh, yeah, we're all dealing with mutations here. 
there can be lethal genes, and I'm sure there's lethal genes lurking in our geckos right now that can cause, you know, geckos to just suddenly hemorrhage or geckos to suddenly die or females having multiple ova in the oviduct at once and causing reproductive problems and all of this. So it's good to outcross. You know, it's easy for me to say. It's very hard for us to do here because when you bring in the stronger wild-type genes, it means you're using those, taking those females out of service basically for the year and um, then creating heft and having to breed back and having a lot of byproduct. But we have to do that here, and we have, you know, a thousand cages, and we can do that, but uh, we can't do it, you know, with every more every year. But every few years, six, seven years, I encourage people, they're having, you know, all the big breeders have to do it because eventually uh, you've got to get, even if it's just getting a, uh, a raptor, you know, from a different breeder uh, every four or five years and putting it into your raptor group, um, and, you know, and uh, it can strengthen things greatly. And uh, so that's important too. So, yeah, we're dealing with mutations here and uh, uh, capitalizing on all this stuff. And, uh, you know, we're all enjoying uh, the fantasy and the beauty of leopard geckos. So, you know, I encourage uh, the beginners that are listening to not be, uh, you know, too intimidated and find a good forum. and, And, you know, there's plenty of good information on the Internet and, uh, and the big readers will answer emails, and you know maybe maybe uh, you'll find some that you know answer more than others. And uh, that uh, I answer 100% of my emails. I, that's all I can say. I can't say what other people do. But at any rate, um, you know we're all in this together. And so the more we cooperate and share information, the better off it's going to be. And I see the hobby, you know, staying strong, and there's going to be a lot of excitement, you know, going ahead. There's no doubt about it. And there's other people are going to discover great things, too. Yeah, I agree. I think think we're uh, right on the cutting edge of this stuff, Ron. I think you're fixing to see a lot of things happen. Uh, a lot of new stuff coming down the pike, I think. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, we just work with macularius, macularius here. I think some of these other morphs coming in, there's been enough servicemen over in the Middle East <laughs> to get some of these geckos out into Germany and different places. And and uh, John Scarborough's done an excellent job bringing in some cool stuff and, I know Matt has some other subspecies, and and uh, and you do too, Dave, and and a lot of people. We we uh, pretty much stuck to old school, just macularis, macularis, but we're not opposed to you know getting um, other subspecies and species. And I think some of those could be holding some hidden genetics that'll be very interesting and can be unlocked and and. Uh, you know, leopard geckos in the wild, it's a, it's really a, what we call a cline in biology. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like how, 
cow kings. Uh, the cow kings, uh, the genus and species of the common king snake, starts with the cow king over in California and goes all the way to the East Coast. And they're right. all connected, but geographically have differentiated themselves. And so when you go from um, Iran across Iraq and, <laughs> and through those Middle Eastern countries, so Pakistan to India, um, it's, a, it's a continuous connected population of Eublisferis, and some scientists have been able to break them out, but they're all can probably be bred together quite simply, and a lot of that's been proven already. So, yes, all, there's going to be sure. a lot of stuff mixed together, and you know, and um, you know, just like uh, people do with the fish and birds and dogs, and so it's going to be exciting. And I, I, you know, people think, well, what could be next, and what possible thing, you know, we're dealing with size and color and pattern, eyes. You know, what could be next? Well, I can tell you there's going to be a lot, and there's going to be a lot of codoms come up and and uh, more things that uh, break through. So uh, everybody can make their I, mark, and, I, you know, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. I yeah, think there's a big future. Yeah, anything else over there, Ron? What's that? Are you hiding anything else over there? Hiding anything else? No, i I got to say that, those were the, our three projects, uh, you know, that came along at, at different rates. And uh, I think, you know, we kind of uh, projects are kind of exhausting. And, uh, I, you know, I had, had three possibilities this year. And Helen and I, you know, got this pastel thing that's kind of dropped into our, our hands and, and has, has revealed itself and will reveal mm-hmm. itself more. But, no, I don't have anything specifically hidden. I have some future projects and things I want to do. I want to make a all bright lavender, you know, or a light blue or blue patternless gecko, and uh, you can bet your life I'm already starting that. But um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to use this pastel gene to, uh, to do that. And so... Um, you know, and I'm not the only one that's been exposed to the pastel gene that's feeling that's uh, in a realm of possibility to make something. So I think uh, people in uh, around the world are going to be be hot on this, and you know, it can mix with different things, and uh, you know, come up with something really nice. I mean, I mean the. Uh, uh, Pastel, white and yellow, Enigma, or something might be mind-blowing, right? We don't know. It could be all bright purple or something, you know, some of these things that can be made. So uh, we're going to find out, and we just got, you know, another building block that I've announced tonight, and it's not limited to just being a pretty raptor. We found that we've got a new gene that does something special, so... Uh, it's just another step along the way, and uh, like white and yellow, and even the Enigmas made some marks, and they're pretty darn popular in Europe right now. I, I think we've run our course in a way with them in the U.S., but right now France is just going crazy about en- the Enigma combos, and uh, Helen keeps me abreast on that. So, you know, all this thing takes, you know, and, and then you've got 
uh, mainland China ready to break out. A lot of stuff's getting smuggled in there across from Korea. The Bay of Incheon there is just right into China. And then from Hong Kong, which is a free trade area, they take it in across the bay into mainland China. And across the Chinese market is crazy. And uh, I've sold to the Chinese. And, and boy, if they ever let leopard geckos officially in there, you know, you're looking at uh, uh, literally tens of thousands of customers that aren't part of the customer base and marketplace that we globally share now. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. getting easier to ship, ship things overseas. And so it's, you know, it's it's shifting. And uh, But I see a bright future, and I'm certainly uh, happy to be part of all this. I sure appreciate everything you guys are doing, you know, you run a good show and and bring a lot to to the the place. So I, I commend you as I have in the past for your great time and dedication, Dave, and thanks for co hosting oh, Cam. Awesome. so how where are we going from there guys? Are we going overtime or where's where what are we doing with the show now? Well we're into we're already into overtime and um it's up to you if you want to spend some more time on anything else. Uh, we could start wrapping things up if you like. Uh, I'll leave it totally up to uh, you three guys, whatever you guys want to do. Well, I'm open to more questions. I think, uh, you know, I've covered all the things I had on my mind about, uh, you know, new developments, about naming things. Okay. So some of the you want to take a couple phone so. calls? Sure, whatever. You bet. Okay. Let's take a couple calls, and then we'll uh, wrap things up. All right, caller from the, let's see, caller from the 916 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hello, is that me? Uh, that's you. Yes, Mark. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, hello. and uh, Hello, David, and uh, hello, Ron, and uh, um who else is there, Matt? Uh, Tim and Gar- uh, Tim and um, uh, Daryl. And uh, anyway, anyway um, hello to you all. Um, um, I, I pressed the one button quite quite a while back, but um, this has been extremely interesting. I don't have an um, uh, an exact question right now. Um, okay. I'm sorry I'll, to I'll say. I'll move on to someone else. That's okay. Thank yeah. you for listening, Mark. All right, caller from the 530 area code. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, this is Jeff. How's everybody doing? Good, Jeff. Jeff. How are you, bud? Good, good. Hey, Ron, you going to the Sacramento show to Vin this year again? No, sir, I I can't. Uh, I've oh. tried up and things. I'm very sorry. Uh, <laughs> my mom is in Fresno, and she needs to be moved down to Pasadena, and so... My only chance to get out uh, in September is to make that big move for her, a lifetime move and adjustment. So I'm yeah, not going to be able to get the exact show. I, I, I'm not going to Japan the end of this month. There's just so much going on, and my life's changed a bit recently. So I, yeah. uh, I will be at Daytona, and I, I think uh, Helen and I are going to go to uh, Tinley Park. And, uh, of course, we can supply animals over to the hum. You know, shows we we get things yeah. over there, 
But uh, I'm sorry. Uh, but if there's something real interesting, you know, I got photos, and, and you know, shipping's <laughs> not too not too bad there. But I'm sorry, we won't we won't make Sacramento. Uh, well, that's that's week. okay. You got bigger fish to fry. You got to take care of mom. That's <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> mom, mom for sure. I, you no, were at Sacramento show with me last year. Pardon? My mother was in the booth with me at the Sacramento show last year, 84 years old. And yeah, I stopped, I stopped yeah. by and was was looking at your bold stripes that were moving quite quickly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Great, great stuff. Well, good deal. Nice hearing from you, Jeff. Yeah, nice to hear from you, too. I, did, I didn't really have, like, one question. I could, like, you know, write a, a book of questions to ask. But very interesting uh, I agree show. With that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm kind of excited about this uh, pastel thing going on. Um, unfortunately, my racks are full. <laughs> oh, come on, Jeff. <laughs> we'll see what we can do with that next month. <laughs> Bill, one more. All right, cool. Cool. Thanks for calling in, Jeff. All right, thanks for taking my call. All right. All right, let's take one more call here. Caller from the 252 area code. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, David, that's me. I said I was calling in just to listen. <laughs> oh, I didn't see you. Yeah. yeah, sorry about okay. that. Yeah, I'm just here to – I do have a question, though. Um, with uh, Ron, how Ron was talking about uh, we're winding up with so many uh, uh, mutt geckos that we have, you know, het after het, and you have this animal with so many genes. Um, is there a market like what John does? He has these very nice, pure lines, the Terminicus and Macularis, et cetera. Um, is that definitely something that other people should be trying to aim for? Is I am very much into the pure lines. I just want it to be a blah, blah, with none of this, yeah. none of that, just this is that a good – because somebody, and I know John's doing it, I don't know how many other people are doing it that are just maintaining nice, pure lines of only subspecies. I'm doing it. Yeah. Are you I'm doing it, Carol? Uh, yes, I've got uh, – of course, I've gotten nearly everything from John. So, yes, he's already I'm kind of – I'm kind of old school. I, I like the pure stuff. Uh, I don't know that that it's for everybody. Uh, you've got a lot of people out there that like color and yeah, you know, yeah. like something pretty. But uh, the thing with the the, the pure subspecies stuff, uh, they're different. They're they're you know they have their own idiosyncrasies and their mannerisms that are different from the quote-unquote domesticated stock, so they to speak. They really are. They have a total 180 out yeah. where some of these uh, different morrisid uh, are literally kind of cuddly. Some of these uh, subspecies exactly. just are, just dump the food and walk away, lady. <laughs> exactly. E- exactly. And I mean, you know, and, and I've noticed, you know, I've got the Agamanius, uh fixing to get a second pair from John next week. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know they're different. Uh, they're a little more. They really are. They're a little Very more muscular. Yeah, with, but if you if you watch them, 
they seem to move more early in the morning and and, and early evening before dark. Right so at dusk. Yep. Yeah. Do yours, um, yours walk and wave their tail as they kind of sashay along? Yeah, Have you seen um, that in yours? Yeah, my, my male is really, really skittish like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I can walk in the gecko room, and he's he's 15 feet away, and you can hear him. If he's out, he'll just hightail it for his hide, yeah. you know, and he's liable to hiss at me. And I mean, we're talking about a gecko that's, you know, 60, 70 grams now. Um as a baby, yeah, uh, they amazed me, yeah. five months old and 70 grams. And I'm like, holy yeah, exactly. crap, you need a bedroom to yourself. <laughs> you know, and they're bigger, they're, they're, they're bigger, they're, uh, uh, they're different. They're, they're definitely different. I think that uh, there's a lot to be learned there with these guys. It wouldn't surprise me. I, I know that people are trying to cross them into some of this other stuff, but I, it wouldn't surprise me if they wouldn't do it. Uh, I think they're totally different. different I think structure. Um, yeah, I think that, um, and it may be from my show dog days, but mm-hmm. I think that um, almost to take some of those, um, especially what, with the anger man, you, my husband calls the angry geckos, um, right. that it's almost a sin. It seems to be just a sin to take something that somebody has worked so hard on, keep them pure, and cross it over to something. It's like you want to take it away from them and smack their hand and say, don't do that. You know? Exactly. <laughs> You know, I, I, and I'm, yeah, exactly. Somebody yeah. put a lot of work and effort into that. Don't be screwing it up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, that's a good thing. That's a good thing with John. You know, John has got yeah. a lot of of really, really clean, pure line stuff. Love it. You know, I've yeah. got a couple of line of Turkmenicus, different lines. Uh, you know, I've got, you know, all kinds. Of, I've got the Macularis Macularis, which you can tell. Uh, you can tell, Ron, that that's where a lot of your your stuff came from because they're a heavier-bodied gecko. Um, right. Chunky. You know, yeah, bigger head, little little beefier, kind of like me, little little wider. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, I I I don't know what to to answer your question. You know, it, people like yourself and and I like them. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just don't know that that they're for everybody. I think in time, the people that appreciate what's going on will. Uh, I know in the old days when we were breeding snakes, you know, we wouldn't breed. You know, when we were catching gray-banded king snakes in Texas years and years and years ago. You know, we wouldn't breed them if they weren't from the same road cut just to keep the genetics pure. Mm-hmm. Whereas today, today they'll breed anything to anything in the snake business. Um you know, I mean, they're breeding rat snakes to king snakes and corn snakes. I mean, they're doing all kinds of crazy things. I saw things, that but, the other day. Yeah, I saw the king but, snakes you know, and corn I was like, yeah. wait, what? I'm, you know, Bill Love started doing that years ago whenever he was getting in the corn snake game. I'll never forget the first time he came out with the the snow corn. You could tell immediately he'd crossed it with an Emory's rat snake. I mean, of course he denied it forever and ever and ever, but I know that's exactly what he did. But anyway, I mean, you know, to each his own, but I, I, I like to keep things pure and clean, yeah. and, um, and I like them myself. And the myself. are fun, and it's interesting to see where they come from, but at some point in time in the future, will everything come back full circle because there's so much stuff mixed in? Um, I, you know, everybody... that, that's a good Go question for Ron, because I, I, think, I think that you're going to see 
uh, my opinion, I think you're going to see things revert back. Instead of having these four, five, six combo morphs, mm-hmm. I think you're going to see. Well, you're you're seeing it already. You're seeing people that are that are doing their own line of 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 different morphs and and really mainstreaming it, you know, and 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 working on their stuff. Ron, do you think do you ever see that happening to where people start reverting back to just one or two combos and, yeah. and really getting it clean? Go back I to scratch. See I, I see a, a sort of a cycle within each uh, collector's own life, and the, the cycle kind of goes where towards the end of the cycle it, it seems to be where they settle in and have a little bit more fun with their hobby when they find their own little niche and specialize with just a few morphs and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. It gets really hard to cover it all, and everybody wants to jump in. And, you know, I talked on other shows about acquisition fever and the first stage of enchantment. And, you know, uh, it's just real easy to go whole hog. But talking about your your you know, wild-caught, purebred, more morphs of uh, species of leopard geckos, you notice how they act and you notice how hardy they are. And this is why I was talking a little bit earlier about strengthening genetic lines by doing some outcrossing with morphs that are the same or bringing in some new blood. As all of us as a reptile community get further away from the wild-caught lines, it's much harder to maintain that reproductive strength, the uh, animals that are resistant. Yeah, resistant to animals that are resistant to crypto and things like this. And so, you know, we see, you know, we're giving up, you know, everything has a cost. And so when you give up, you know, some of these wild traits that have allowed these animals through natural selection for thousands of years, uh, we, you know, can have problems. So... You know, it can be very, very beneficial to use some of these different species to, to beef up, you know, other lines. Some people may choose to do that. I've chose to use wild-caught, you know, macularius lines to, to, you know, bring in for some of my work. But, yeah, you know, that's the thing. Um, happiness is specializing. Let me tell you. We're pretty beat today. We've had a real long week here. You know, we've got thousands of animals, and we, you know, still working. Uh, you know, hopefully, won't go back out after the show and and start working more. But uh, it's it's not. You know, specializing is a is a real good path to freedom, and it makes you find your own little niche, and you can get known for something you do well. And right, and so. I encourage people to not go too wild with trying to acquire every morph and and do everything. It becomes overwhelming. And, you know, one of our earlier uh, callers, Mark, uh, uh, there from California, he just sent me pictures of his reptile room. He's really found a wonderful thing that he can do at home, and and it doesn't take, uh, you know, a lot more than, you know, a reasonable budget and the fortitude and, you know, it's not real demanding physically. 
and uh, you know he's got a good little room now. Whether he fills up the whole house, who knows? But uh, <laughs> you know, I've just seen this happen, you know, with so many people, and um, and even here, I still have more space, but I'm, I'm really resisting putting in more racks. I haven't installed new any racks for about six years, but uh, you know, it's you know, you can always get more. But, yeah, I encourage people, and it does come around to that. It gets overwhelming, and pretty soon you just say, you know what, I, I'm gonna, I don't want to give this all up. I'm going to specialize, and I'm going to find my niche. John Scarborough's a perfect example. He's mm-hmm. found a niche, a niche where he's comfortable. He found that there was a need to bring in some purebred macularius and different species of Eublifarus from Europe and and different breeders, and uh, the Germans are fanatic about keeping records, and there are guys over there you can count on, and, and guys in Russia. And uh, so he's found a niche there. And, uh, you know, I have my little niche. I've got, you know, Helen wants to fill up the world with geckos. I can see it's going that way. But uh, <laughs> anyway, we, we've got about every genetic thing known except for the 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 black knight or the black pearl, some of those lines right now, I think that's the only thing we're missing is the, that uh, black black animal. And uh, we have everything else in, in macularia. So, um, but, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, serenity in specializing. And I always tell people, don't quit your day job. Don't think you're going to, you know, go commercial on breeding reptiles. It's, it's very difficult to do year in and year out. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't like don't do it to get rich. That's for sure. Because mm-hmm. you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. That's All right. For sure. Well, folks, I think we're going to start wrapping things up. And uh, thanks for calling in tonight. Uh, All right. Uh, listen, uh, this has been a, a very uh, in-depth episode. We really covered a lot of great stuff, and um, I'm really excited, Ron, for what you have cooking over there. That's just great. And uh, you know, if there's anything else that you want to leave us with before we wrap it up, now's the chance. Well, no, I just want to thank you all for giving me this this uh, venue to express myself, and I appreciate it. I think it's good for the whole industry, and I think it's great the variety of of other breeders and specialists uh, from all walks of life you bring to the table from beginners to the top. And um, I appreciate it so much. And uh, I'll, um, I'll just keep doing the best I can out there. Everyone knows that, that uh, have contact with me that I just, uh, what you see is what you get. And uh, I just promise to keep doing the best I can and, and keep challenging myself to, Try to bring new things to the industry, and uh, and so uh, appreciate everything. Thank you all for your input, and Tim and Daryl and Dave. You guys are great, and uh, we appreciate it. And I appreciate everything so much. It's it's been a great session, and I uh, look forward to the next one. Me too. Thanks, Absolutely. Ron. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. All right. Have a, Thanks, have a good night, and get back get back to work over there. <laughs> I shall. I shall. All right. All right. 
Thanks, Thanks Ron. Thank you, guys. All right. Hey, Tim, Daryl, what do you think? How did we do tonight? I think it's great. Uh, lots of valuable information. He is just a uh, plethora of knowledge. Um, yeah. I could sit and talk to him for days. Yeah, it's a really good show. Um, if he didn't have to get back to uh, feeding and cleaning geckos tomorrow, we could keep him up all night. Right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, that, that, that's the thing. I mean, you know, he has answered every question that I've ever asked him, either in person or by email. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Dave's the same way. John, too. Um, I mean, I, I, everybody has their their own little idiosyncrasies and quirks and stuff like that, and everybody everybody has their little trade secrets and and uh, and all that. But at the end of the day, like Ron always says, we're in this together. You know, mm-hmm. you got to help. You got to help the new guys and. Uh, if not, if if you don't give them some knowledge, they're going to get the wrong knowledge, and and that's where trouble begins. Well, we're seeing some issues uh, with some new people coming in that are very aggressive, and uh, you know they're they're, take, they're not always doing the you know the respectable um, ways to I guess break their break into the into the game, so to speak. So you know we do see some some problems too, you know. That's the problem with social media. Mm. Uh, I, I blame it on social media. It, social media, you know, people can sit there and hide behind a keyboard and they're going to say a lot of things and do a lot of things that they would never do in person. Um, mm. I don't know how we get around that. Uh, but, it's still evolving, that's the, I think. Yeah, yeah and, that, and that's the, you're exactly right. It, it's still evolving and... And that's the younger generation too. It's instant gratification. Uh, you see it every day. Yeah, but. I'd like to. I'd like to see people, um, you know, that do take this seriously. You know, maybe there's there's got to be a way that someday there could be like some clear guidelines on how to, uh, you know, start up. I mean, Ron's book is excellent. If you guys are listening and Absolutely. you have an idea about, yeah, if you have an idea about starting a gecko business. Um, get his book while you still can. There's only a few copies left. And uh, it's at www.leopardgecko.com. And, uh, He's wow, going to reprint it, isn't he? Huge thunderstorm hit yeah. right here. <laughs> isn't he, isn't he uh, going to reprint it? No, he's not. He's uh, That's it. Oh, I thought he was going uh, to. He was. But then the way he did his calculation that, you know, by the time... He got all the books out and sold them all, and the information would be outdated, and it would be time for a new book. So Ah, so he's going to write a new book. Good for him. Maybe. Yeah, I like the sound of that. I hope he does. You know, yeah, he, he's cool. probably going to work on a new new edition and bring it out in a couple of years, and then that's about smart. Good for him. I hope yeah. he does. That's the thing with, yeah, with everything's evolving so fast right now that, that uh, you know, I mean, you you could if you if you had the wherewithal and the knowledge and the time, you know. Uh, right now, with this, with as many different morphs that are out there, you know, the old like they used to do in the old days with snake books and stuff like that. Just a good old picture book of all the morphs would be. I think you could sell in a heartbeat. But it's mm-hmm. just uh, yeah. when you start when you start doing color plates, it gets expensive. Yeah. Well. 
what do you think, Tim? Uh, yeah, do you have any closing remarks for tonight? I I just wanted to say, um, quote uh, a snake breeder that I used to work for, uh, Eugene Bissett. What would we learn if every egg hatched? Hmm, that's interesting. Good. That's good. Good point. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the fun of all all the stuff that we do is that we're constantly learning. As you heard uh, Mr. Tremper say, you know, he's he's still learning every day. And um, it, it wouldn't be as fun and interesting if if everything was 100%. We knew everything that was going on with, with all the genetics and every pair that we put together uh, produced, you know, perfect offspring. And, you know, that's the fun of it is figuring it out exactly. and, uh, and not knowing what's going to hatch out every time. Yeah, every egg yeah. that hatches is like Christmas. <laughs> Yeah. And not only that, but uh, I often say that, you know, like right now I'm in my uh, growth period with my uh, operation, and it's it's tough. I'm not going to lie. It really is. And um, I, I guess, you know, I, after when, once I complain to Daryl or uh, you, Tim, or somebody else on the phone, I, I feel better afterwards, and I think, well, you know what? That's, that's, this is the experience. The struggle sure. and the hardship and the, you know, the hard times are the experience. That's why... You're, we're doing it, and uh, exactly. yeah, these these rewards that we get are gifts from uh, from whatever you want to call it. These beautiful little creatures—they're just incredible, and uh, they're yeah. worth everything we put into them. Absolutely, I think. Yeah, yeah. Just well, call guys, me I'm Dave. Uh, I'll talk you off the ledge. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just want to thank you guys for helping out tonight, and. Uh, of course, at one point we had 56 people in the chat room. That is a record. Wow. I a picture of it. I may just frame it. But, uh, yeah, that's incredible. Very um, cool. Big night tonight. Well, when, yeah, when, when you've got the man on, what do you expect? <laughs> I know. And he, he, did a, he did some really good diligence and actually sent a broad-based email out to his entire list of people uh, with the show link. I, so that helps. I got uh, that one as well. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we pick up a whole bunch of new listeners too uh from that, which That'd is going to cool. be great. Yeah, so uh thank you guys. Thanks for ch- uh chilling in the chat room. Uh Daryl and Tim, thank you guys for helping out tonight being Thanks. a good co-host as usual. And uh yeah, and I look forward to doing it again soon. I'm going to let you guys go and um huh? uh let's talk let's talk uh sometime during the week, fellas. What do you think? Sounds good. See you, Tim. Thanks a lot, Dave. Have a good night, guys. See you. All right. Take care, guys. All right, folks. Uh, I'm going to play the outro, and I'm going to come back with my closing remarks. Hang tight. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. The jazz music you heard tonight was generously donated and created by Jeremy Turgeon of J&D Reptiles. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the great musical pieces. You can check out Jeremy at J&D Reptiles on YouTube and on Facebook. And a very special thank you to our news anchor, graphic designer, and audio tech, Steve Barker. All the graphics, audio sponsor plugs, and music overlays were assembled by Steve. Check out Steve on YouTube at BC Barker Creations. He has some terrific videos for the herb community with amazing geckos and snakes. 
please support the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance and U.S. ARC. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to support both of these organizations. Please donate to U.S. ARC so that they have the funds needed to legally protect pet owners' rights nationwide. You can donate to the U.S. ARC Legal Defense Fund at www.usarc.org. If you would also like to learn about advocacy and how you can take action on a state and local level, please subscribe to the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance newsletter and blog at www.usherp.org. All right, folks, another amazing show comes to a close. And after a night like this, I just I feel great. I feel more motivated, more energized for what I do, and uh, just more engaged with everybody out there. Uh, every day I wake up, and uh, from the start of my day to the end of the day, I have this uh, on my mind pretty much. And uh, it's a break from the, the mundane tasks of life. And if you have found this, uh, and, and it helps you take your mind off the stresses of life and the, you know, the not-so-great parts of life. And you have found a true, uh, true gift, I believe. And um, I think it's all of our responsibility, and I say this a lot. If you love this and if you found this, it's all of our responsibility to get at least one other person involved. Um, I, I try to share my enthusiasm everywhere I can. Everything I do is, is an expression of my enthusiasm for herpetoculture, whether it's my YouTube channel, my interactions on Facebook, this radio show, and whatever else I'm going to be doing uh, in my, just my operation itself, okay? I just love this as much as I possibly can. So, folks, do your best to get others involved because we have strength in numbers, and please take the threat to our ownership of exotic animals ser- seriously. There are organizations and um, the government that is trying to take away our rights to own these animals. And if we lose those rights, it'll be very unfortunate. Okay, so do what you can for U.S. ARC. Take it seriously. It's real. It's happening. It is a threat. It's a monkey on our back, okay? And, uh, but we can beat it. We have the numbers to beat it. We just need those numbers to, to wake up and take it, take it seriously for what it is. All right, folks, wake up other people. And uh, thanks again for listening. Until next week. And here's a cool song to take us out. But before we go, I just want to mention our great sponsors one more time. Tales Bearded Dragons. Check them out at talesbeardeddragons.com and at all the expos in the Northeast. If you need any kind of reptile supplies, you're at best the place to go. Make sure you mention Gecko Nation Radio. Uh, they're going to be at the next Hamburg, Pennsylvania show as well. Stop by and say hi and mention the show. Get 10% off. 80 Dragons, best place for dubia roaches. Make sure you use the code GECKO at checkout, and you're going to get 5% off your order. All right, geckoboa.com, Mr. John Scarborough. Uh, John's also uh, giving a, a discount as well um, for Gecko Nation radio listeners. I just remembered about that. Uh, make sure you remind him about that if you're ordering any geckos from John. All right, Supreme Gecko, Wally Kern. Uh, if you guys need day geckos, crusties, crusty food for them, uh, all kinds of interesting micro geckos and such, check out supremegecko.com. Ohio Gecko, uh, Thad also runs geckoforums.net. Uh, if you want some really nice tangerines, snows, fat tails, uh, Thad is your uh, guy to go to at ohiogecko.com. Really beautiful animals. 
All right, and if you need quality feeders for your geckos and insect-eating reptiles, you need to hit up rainbowmealworms.net. They are the biggest worm farm in the world and have the most competitive pricing. Just an all-around great company to deal with. Jillian Spence is terrific. She's a doll. She, I call her the goddess of worms. <laughs> She's going to take care of you. Uh, check it out at rainbowmealworms.net. Mention Gecko Nation Radio. All right, if you're starting to ship your own animals and uh, you're new to shipping or if you're an experienced shipper and you want the best rates, you're going to get them. Use Reptiles Express for your FedEx labels at uh, reptilesexpress.com. And, of course, our guest tonight, Mr. Ron Tremper. Uh, just incredible, incredible lines of geckos, leopard geckos, um, going back decades now, such as the Bandit, Tangelos, the new Pastel Raptors, and so much more. Check out leopardgeckos.com. There's only a few copies left of his book, Leopard Geckos, The Next Generations. Make sure you get that book. Have him autograph it. Buy it through the site. It's going to be a collector's item, folks. Okay, you got to get that book if you're into geckos. All right. Uh, GiantLeopardGecko.com. Keith Kagan is giving 25% off until September, okay, uh, September 30th. Use the code GNR2014 for 25% off any purchase. He's got amazing, awesome leopard geckos that are big. He likes the big, giant-sized ones. So check out GiantLeopardGecko.com. And, to uh, you know, guys, you are what you eat. We all are. We are what we eat. We want our animals to be healthy, so we have to feed those feeder insects healthy food as well. So use MS2 Premium Chow for your feeders. It's the best. And our newest sponsor, and you heard him live on the air tonight, Mr. Daryl Burton. Daryl Burton is now the new owner of the operation, Longhorn Geckos. His son and uh, he, Cade and him, are specializing in very high-end leopard gecko morphs, such as Tangelo's, uh, Pastel Raptors, the new morph that Ron announced tonight, and wild types, some white and yellows, uh, just all kinds of great stuff, only the best. Okay, check him out on Facebook, facebook.com slash longhorngeckos, and his website is going to be up and running very soon. He's also an admin in the Gecko Nation group and very active, great guy. Keep an eye on him because the good things are coming from his collection, I assure you. All right, folks, uh, thanks again. I want to thank everybody that's still hanging with us. Here's a cool song to take us out. Until next week, I love you all. Have a good night.
It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world. 